Hello everybody, happy Wednesday. Welcome back to Aces Up the Sleeve. I'm Patty, co-hosting with the co-managing partners of Pocket Aces Racing, or par for the quick reference, Jared Shoemaker and Mark Wampler. And we are back with our, I think it's it's kind of like our, uh, would we call this a preview at this point? Or have we, have we moved into, I guess, a, a different kind of thing This today. is story hour. Story hours story that we're hour. calling it now, story hour. <laughs> that, that's what today's session is, at least. Okay. So you heard it here, folks. We are going to sit down with Mark. He has, I'm sure, a lot of very interesting stories to share from his years in the thoroughbred industry. And from what I've heard, you have some a couple of good ones that you've lined up for us today. <laughs> so I'm looking forward to hearing those. But before we get to that, how are you both doing today? I'm doing great. Uh, never better. Off to a good start to the news. <laughs> I am fine and dandy sitting Ooh. here with the one dog on the lap uh, one dog in the bed beside me and another dog below my feet oh so my goodness that oh. was good there's three dogs now i only knew of two did you walk yeah, around yeah, family yeah, member well, we, we got the two puppies well they're not puppies they're two and a half yeah and then we got the 15 year old Las opsa so uh, you're running a kennel over there now <laughs> what's that you're running a kennel over there now well, you know, we had uh, we had Toby and Addie. Uh, Toby was a Shih Tzu that we had for almost 15 years. That was Sydney's dog when she, I guess it was longer than that. It was it, he was 15 or 16, and uh, you know, so Sydney got him when she was five or six, and then um, we got Addie whenever um, Sophia was <laughs> six or seven, I think. And thinking that they would, uh, you know, get, you know, that, that they would get along and keep each other company. Toby never really cared for Addie. She was always that little dog, you know, that runs around the big giant bulldog on the Looney Tunes yeah, commercials. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, dude, they Yep, exactly. And and, and uh, so Toby, he he wasn't down with that. So then when Toby uh, had to be put down, Addie kind of went into a funk, and she was really low and down, and and. Uh, we a couple years later, I guess uh, in the midst of COVID, Scarlett thought, you know what, we need to get another dog, and let's get a puppy, and it'll be somebody good for Addie to play with. And I went up to Northern Ohio to look at these, uh, to look at a Shipu, and there were two of them that were from the same litter, and they were the last ones from the litter. And I'm like, well, hell, I can't bust them up. Yeah, and I came yeah, back with pair. both of them. Just yeah. Say and um so they're they're two and a half now a little over two and a half and addy hates them <laughs> so um yeah that's what we got going on sounds good yeah it's not as i mean you, you guys run i mean how, what, how many dogs have you got at the moment me yep uh one the fiona oh, so you don't have any you're not you're not uh fostering any right now no we haven't fostered any for a while that you know that was my wife and uh i was glad to be a part of it but i it was not my show you know and right. uh i uh she i don't that's just kind of fallen by the wayside a little bit but we did used to foster and um it, it was it could be a little tough you know yeah. uh they were dogs people had given up on for a reason you know, but, uh, mm -hmm. we got, you know, we had to give them their pills or they'd have convulsions. <laughs> uh, they'd have problems. But anyway, it's uh, it was my good deed, I felt like, for a while. And then you had June's dog when he, I uh, guess, went back home. His family went home to yeah, Korea for yeah. what, five or six weeks. Yeah, had it for a month. And uh, she was a good playmate for Fiona, my dog. So it was, uh, it was all good. Yeah, okay. Well, hey, enough about dog talk. Yeah, yeah. Let's uh, let's talk some horses. So, you know, Mark has, uh, you know, regaled me with stories over the years of uh, of his experiences, and he, he's got a ton of them. And um, you know, we thought a while back that it would be great to have him come on and just share some of those stories. And some of you will have heard them before when you've uh, met with him and talked to him. And uh, but a lot of them will be new to you all. And um, so we decided uh, a while back that we wanted to do uh, some episodes like this. And then I guess it was last week or the week before Mark sent me, sends me a text and said, Hey man, I'd love to talk about you know, how we bought ace Irish aces um, at some point. 
uh, on one of the podcasts. I think that'd be a good deal. So, well, hey, let's make that uh, at least one of the first stories that you tell on on, on the podcast story hour. So yeah. I know he's going to share that with us today. And then depending on where we are on time after that, uh, he may tell us a second story. Um, uh, but with, this is something that we definitely intend to do um, going forward. We'll just let him share some of the experiences that he's had, some of them uh, humorous, some of them just kind of head scratching and others that are just jaw dropping. So, um, so Mark, tell yeah. us about Irish aces and how he, how he came to be part of the pocket aces family. Well, first of all, I've had a brilliant idea. Let's do like the Chappelle show and have those Charlie Murphy stories and <laughs> do a little production you know, like Rick James. Uh, yep. Yep. And maybe do a, like a YouTube thing and uh, shoot shoot some film and uh, add some real spice to the stories with uh, with actors and all that. Okay, done. I'm in. Done. Done. All right. Well, you know, I I, I always thought how us owning Irish Aces was pretty interesting uh, because it just didn't it didn't. You know, I didn't just see him at the sale and we bought it. You know, it was kind of a circuitous path to ownership on him. Um, first of all, I would say not many people know, but there is an unsung hero uh, involved with us owning this, uh, this horse, and that's Critical Threat. Um, if not for Critical Threat, we probably wouldn't own Irish Aces. And I'll tell you what happened was um, Brendan, uh, you know, Brendan trains for Godolphin, right? And uh, he is regularly checking in on the weanlings and yearlings and the young Godolphin horses. horses. Now, not all those young Godolphin horses are actually on the Godolphin farm. They, they, they spread them out to uh, smaller farms, individuals. Joe Seitz is one of them, and there's, you know, some other little farms that get their overflow, I guess I would say, you would say. And Brendan goes out to those farms regularly to, um, to inspect the Godolphin horses, to see how they're coming along, uh, see how they're developing, that kind of thing. And um, Brendan kept on going to one of his buddies' farm who kept some of the Godolphin horse, young horses, and every time he'd go out, he'd show him the Godolphin horses, but he'd show him this one Imshuish. You know, he's he's been out there five, six times over the period of a year checking in on this horse, these horses. And every time he's got this other Imshuish horse up for Brendan to see as well. You know, I, I you know, I wanted you to see this horse too, just because he's he's not a Godolphin horse, but he's he's so nice. And, you know, I see him out here in the field, he's running circles around these Godolphin horses. Uh, I think you'll really like. Him. And um, so that's that was kind of Brendan's involvement. Well, it comes to the time of the sale. The horse is up there on the grounds at the sale. Brendan's buddy keeps on reminding him this horse is getting ready to go through the ring this horse is getting you know he's selling in a couple of days he's selling tomorrow he's selling in a couple of hours i think we're going to want forty thousand for him. i think that's how much he's going to cost is forty thousand. so brendan starts thinking who can he um who can he get to buy this horse he likes him he's seen develop uh, you know you know his his whole life practically and real, really likes him. But the problem was, first off, Brendan didn't want to pay $40,000. You know, couldn't, wouldn't, didn't want to pony up that kind of money for, for the horse. He wanted a partner. But I remember talking to him at the time about this. He was going to have, he knew he was going to have a hard time finding somebody to put up $20,000 for an insurance, for half of an insurance, you know. But he thought, pocket aces, I they've got a good intuition. They've got an intuition that broke his maiden at Keeneland for him. He got hurt, but he's on his way back and he's training like a freight train. You know, the intuition stock is down everywhere else around the world, but with pocket aces, it's a hot stock. You know, they're 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 pro uh, intuition. 
So maybe I talk to them. That And so an hour or so before the horse goes through the ring, Brendan calls me and says, there's an wish selling in about an hour. I think he's going to go through for 40. Are you in for half? And I say, let me go see. Let me go take a look at it. I'm interested, but I, you know, I just, I got to see myself. So I hustle myself up to barn 12 or barn 14, wherever he was. And I see, and uh, I like straight away, you know, um, just, I thought he would fit right in with the type of horses we were buying. And, um, and so he goes, and, and like I say, this is, I hadn't heard about the horse, didn't, didn't know the horse existed until like an hour before, um, before he sold. And who knows if I would have seen him, you know, walking around in the back ring, uh, you know, had I gone up to use the bathroom, go eat lunch or something like that. Um, or I might've, you know, uh, just called it a day or something, but, uh, Brendan, like I say, called about an hour before the horse went through the ring. I go take a look at him. He called us thinking that we would be somebody who is interested in an wish where it might be hard to find other people to pony up 20 grand for half of an insurish. Uh, so I go see really like him and we get him for the $40,000. And um, I just thought that was an interesting story of, of how that came to be and how I really think critical threat was a big part of us being involved in that, horse, you know? Yeah. Because I mean, Imshu was, like you said, he was kind of dead in the water. He's been sold to somebody. He's not yeah. in the States anymore. And um, this would have been right around the time when he got, yeah, he, he, he was sold off to another country and, and nobody was, and I, I know Brendan knew about this horse before us and, I know he had said something to the fact I, I can't remember exactly the way he put it when he initially called me about it, but he said that, um, it, you know, it was going to be, he, he was having a hard time. I don't even know if I'm the first person or if we're the first people he called, he might have called somebody else. And they said, I, I can't do an insurance, you know? And, um, and he, you know, he, had, he had said to me in the phone call that there was, uh, that he didn't think Intuish would be a problem for us. And I said it wasn't, you know, and um, we went for it. Yeah, it's, um, and, and really, then think about that, you know, think about critical threat. You know, the only reason we got that Intuish was because you were involved with him from the very beginning. Oh, well, that's a, that's another uh, critical threat. You can that's, that's a good point. You can take it back a step further because I had purchased critical threats mother for uh, you know I do a little side breeding business for a few uh, pocket aces partners individually who uh, who uh, want to do breeding and uh, I purchased the mare for one of our clients, Billy Hickman, or, or, you know, pocket aces and your guy do some stuff for on his own. Um, and we sold the uh, critical threat pretty well as a weanling to Mike McMahon. And then Mike resold him. I think we sold him for $45,000 as a weanling. And then Mike had flipped him into the October yearling cell and and that, you know, it happens to everybody. Mike does a great job at what he does, you know, but, you know, Imshuish, you know, for us, it was a good time to be selling an Imshuish when he was a weanling. Things went the wrong way for Imshuish the following year. And I called Billy up to say, hey, this thing you sold for 45 last year, he's getting ready to sell at Phasic Tip in October. And I, th I think he's going to go through for, you know, fifteen twenty thousand dollars. I don't think he's going to cost much money at all. Um, and he actually went through going through the ring for twenty. So we had sold him for forty five the year before, and we bought him back for twenty as a yearling the next year. Um, 
and I, you know, even though Imshuish was cold, I thought Critical Threat was a a good racing prospect. Uh, so I had made because my clients or Billy, our client, still owned the mare. I kept a close eye on Critical Threat to see what he would uh, sell for in the ring because my because uh, Billy was still connected to him. And um, I talked to you, I talked to Billy and said, hey, this horse has done really well, but I don't think he's going to cost anything. You know, I think he's going to go through cheap. I, I think Mike's kind of in trouble here on this particular horse. Uh, I, I'm sure he's done exceedingly well on, on other things, but, you know, I've been caught up in that before too. You know, a stallion's hot one year, they get cold the next, you know. And um, so anyway, we got him. You know, if he if he sells for sixty thousand, we don't get him. You know, if he sells for eighty thousand, we don't get him. It was just a value play. Uh, we buy him. He winds up being, you know, breaking his maiden at Keeneland. His his the entirety of his career was, you know, probably he we thought he could be something really special. Didn't really work out that way. But for you know, for a while, things looked really uh, high with him. You know, we thought he was going to be. And it was right around the time that Irish Aces was selling in September and uh, that we were still high on critical threat. And that is what led Brendan to give me a call about this Wish cult that was going through the ring at Keenan in, in 2021. And he, he turned out to be quite the value play. Now, you know, he did get claimed for us from us for $50,000. Yeah, um, but he's uh he won a couple races like you mean he won at Keeneland he won at Gulfstream yeah um for his career he's won three right he also he's won at Saratoga um he was and, win number one hundred for the syndicate too he's win at one that's right that's, well, I that's feel right. like so, I was selling him short <laughs> but yeah he, he's he's a, it's a critical threat it turned out to be a good one and Irish Aces I mean my goodness you know forty thousand dollars um. And it just shows you how tough and how strange this business can be because, you know, he, he's physically, he was fantastic. I mean, from day one, he yeah. just looked apart. And, and, uh, no, again, nobody wanted an Imshuish. And he goes to the ring for basically peanuts. And he's one, he's four for five in the money with two wins and 113,000 in earnings. Well, the Not rest of shabby. the rest of the story too is Brendan's buddy owned uh, Irish Aces. <laughs> That's why, <laughs> whether he believed in what he was saying or, uh, and I found that out later, uh, whether he believed in what he was saying or he was pushing on hard on Brendan because he owned him with some right. with some partners. <laughs> I don't know. But but time has proven his buddy outright, you know, that the, the horse has got talent. Um, but my guess is those guys are pretty strong. Uh, they, they, they set the reserve at 40, and we were the only ones that were going to pay it, you know. Yeah. Uh, um, that was their reserve was probably 39,999. And, um, and, and, and they're pretty strong. Like I say, they wouldn't have just given him away. They probably thought he had value as a racehorse too. And um, so, uh, you know, it was good that Brendan brought it up to us and, and put it up to us. And uh, we, we stepped up and did it, you know? Yeah, absolutely. And just, you know, for anybody else, you know, that he was, they, they bought him and Keelan the previous November for $5,000. So they did yeah. all right. Yeah, they, they did all right with their 40. You know, that's one of those win-wins, right? Absolutely. And Absolutely. he's a horse, too, that, uh, you know, I think he's also a, a great – Irish Aces is a great example of being patient with horses and how it pays off. I think that's pocket aces. It's one of our big – it's a, secrets to success is I see other owners want to – uh, write off horses quickly. They don't want to pay a lot of expenses and bills. They've got to be out there earning more, to, more money or they've got to get gone, you know? And we, because no one person 
is having to foot the bill for everything. And um, we have our built-in expenses. It's a budget. You know what your bills are going to be. And we can use that money to be more patient with these horses and give them more time, really let them heal up. And I'll tell you one thing with Irish Aces, I like them as a yearling enough to buy them, you know, at a $40,000 price, but I wasn't the horse he was when we bought him to the horse he was when he left Margo the second time this last September was totally different. Uh, he was all right when we bought him. He was all right when he went to Brendan the first time. You know, he was a nice little specimen. But something happened to him in that time off from late two-year-old to this last summer. He turned in. He I told Brendan when he came back, he, this horse turned inside out. He's King Kong now. Uh, I don't know how he's going to run because he didn't do, you know, he wasn't particularly impressive in those first two races too. And, um, and, but, you know, I saw it physically, he had just grown up, filled out in all the right places by the time we sent him back. And, um, you know, I, I, I don't think he was, I don't think he was really ready to run as a two-year-old. He, he made it and we did it. But then his body betrayed him anyway after a couple races. He needed more time. And that just gets back to the secret to our success, where we get an edge on other owners. There's so many owners out there who are just on a bottom line. You know, they've got to earn money. They've got to earn it quickly. Can't give these horses time to, to get better. We just got to put them in for a cheap tag and get them gone. We have such an advantage, and, and I, I tell people what we're in the business of is developing horses, um, and Irish Aces is, is a great example, and I think it's a big edge for us to be able to do that. I, I want to build on that a little bit too, because that that has that 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 mentality, earn money, earn money, earn money, and I think I think it's been driven somewhat by the the purses now that are so high. But I think that mentality, it, it rubs off on the trainers because I think so many of the owners, that's what they're telling the trainers. And how many times have we had um, lively discussions with trainers that are just like, well, let's just move, let's just drop this horse and move it on. And we're like, you know what, we want to, we want to have some patience with it and give it some time. Yeah. Uh, and, and, but I think that's driven by most of the, you know, 95% of the other owners that those trainers are dealing with. Wouldn't, wouldn't you think that's, there's something to that? I, I just had this discussion with Alan Burkhart the other day. Um, it, exactly. It's the trainers aren't, it's not the trainer's fault. They think they're doing what is in our best interest based on what everybody else does. And I, uh, I, I have to tell them, we don't think the same way, you know, it's in, in, like I say, a lot of it is our strength is no one person has to write the checks. You know, it, it, that's where I, to me, that's really where the benefit of a racing syndicate comes in. These horses, it, it takes money. Uh, it, it, it takes time. So therefore it takes money. Uh, um, and we can do things that, other people can't afford to do because, you know, no one of our people is getting stuck with that bill. And, you know, just being around a lot of other owners recently and uh, their drive to, you know, it's just treating the horses like race cars, um, uh, being bottom line oriented as opposed to what is in the horse's best interest. Um, and it's, 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 it's so pervasive that trainers think that way. Um, I, and I, like I, I have to tell them that, you know, we're different. We don't, we don't think that way. We want to develop this. We want to give them a little time. Uh, so it's, you, you're absolutely right. It's, um, it's become the way the industry, like the, the herd is going this way and we're walking the other way, which I like, you know, um, 
but it's the way the industry goes nowadays. It's push them, push them, push them, get as much money as you can. Uh, if there's something wrong with them, just put them in for a nickel where they can get gone and da da da. And yeah, and you know, sometimes uh, I think more, way more often than not, that patience has paid off for us um, than it's hurt us. Um, but, but anyway, we, we've kind of gone off on a different direction, which is what we tend to do here. Um, yeah, we tend to talk about one thing and we end up talking about something else, and that's okay. And that's okay, yeah. <laughs> so, uh, so what, uh, what else have, did you come in uh, with a mind to talk about today? Well, I was going to. An interesting story from a long time ago is the story of Worldly Manor. Mm -hmm. it's it's yeah, it's 1998. I'm 26 years old. I'm working uh, for Equine Analysis Systems, and my job there was to... Um, we had a, a something called the FC system. It was called the Fatigue Curve. It was our in-house analysis of two-year-old racing, two-year-old racing all across the country. My job every day was to send the charts for two-year-old races into Steve Roman, who was uh, the guy who developed um, Chef to Race and the Dosage Index and all that. At the time, he was the head of R&D uh, for Texaco, I think. So I would email these charts to Steve Roman, you know, any any two-year-old race that happened in the country that day. In in April and May, it wasn't much of a job, but August, September, it was just an all-day thing. I had to download these charts. And it was you had to do it on dial-up modems, you know. It was it was a process, man. So, but every day I would get Steve Roman, uh, who was, you know he was a genius. I think he held like 18 patents and he was the head of R and D uh, at uh, Texaco oil. And he had applied all that brain power to analyzing two-year-old races. And it was called the fatigue curve because mathematically based on, you know, linear regression, slopes, intercepts, uh, you know, graphing the points of the, of the calls. And did these horses fatigue in a way that you could anticipate, right? It was the assumption was that all horses in American dirt racing, they, um, they, they go fast early in fatigue. They're, you know, in Europe or turf racing, it's walk, 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 and then explode to the finish in american racing it was it was as fast out of the gate and you know it was almost a misnomer to say that the fastest horse won the race it was actually the horse who was fatiguing the least that was the best horse right uh because all dirt horses are going fast 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 and they're always slowing down not always but 99.9 percent .9 of the time at the end of the race, they're going slower than they were at the beginning of the race. So it was kind of, uh, so, so that became the buzzword kind of fatigue, fatigue curve. Were they fatiguing in a predictable way or were they doing something special, right? And it, it was as complicated as you want it to be. You know, he would, and what would happen is, is I would send him thousands of race charts every day and not, you know, over a span of a given year um, and tons of them every day and not every day, but sometimes every day, sometimes two a day, sometimes five a week, sometimes none in a week, horses would hit this FC system. There'd be about 200 of them every year. And it was just for two-year-old races. Now, not every one of those two horses, 200 horses wound up being a good horse, but you could guarantee that every good horse of that crop, two-year-old crop, was going to be among those 200 um, based on the analysis. And so early on, it was just my job to um, get Steve the charts 
so he can do his analysis and then pull the horses that hit the system you know he would fax it in the morning there was a sheet fc the horse's name and then all the graphs and charts and slopes and intercepts and uh predictions and da 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 and um eventually over the next couple of years it, it it wasn't just my job to um send in the charts it became my job to call the train call the owner can we get a deal put together right and by 1998 that's what i was doing i was i was sending in charts uh and waiting for horses to hit the system and if they did hit the system go try to make a deal on it right and also around that time the company i was working for they used to work for coolmore and they had purchased thunder gulch for michael Tabor using this system if you look at thunder gulch's race record at two he raced for this guy up in new york he sold privately to uh, Michael Tabor around the end of his two-year-old year, maybe early in his three-year-old year. And that was because the company I worked for, this was before I went, uh, joined up with them. I put a private deal together for Thunder Gulch. Um, so anyway, that was 95. By 98, I'm doing the work sending these charts in and trying to put the deals together. There's a horse named Worldly Manor that June of 98, he hits our system with numbers. If it took a negative 10 to hit, and that was an in-house thing. You just, if it, if it took a negative 10 to become an FC horse, Worldly Manor in his debut had popped a negative 50, just something we hadn't ever seen before. Turns out he's owned by John Maybe. Uh, who at the time was one of the, uh, you know, there's races named after him, grade one races. He was one of the biggest owners in the country, one of the, you know, most prominent horsemen, um, certainly of the time and maybe all time, you know. Um, and nobody thought that um, that he would sell because he, he bred this horse, he's not known as a seller, and, and we just thought we couldn't get to him. But uh, I found a number for, and I somehow, and I think it's because I was so young. I wasn't, I was just so young and stupid to know that I could call John maybe and see if he'd sell me our horse, you know, his horse. Um, oh, and I got to back up a little bit in 95. Uh, the company was working for Michael Tabor, Coolmore, those guys. By 98, he had had a falling, my boss, the guy who owned the company, had had a little bit of a falling out with Coolmore, and now he was working for Godolphin. Uh, that was our client in 98 when we're doing this work. Um, and, and, and back then, in those days, that was the, those were the two big adversaries. It was like UK Duke, uh, uh, the Steelers versus the, the Cowboys. They were the big rivals, you know, and we'd gone from you know, one of the, the big guys to the, the other big guys, the Godolphins. Anyway, I call him, I finally get a hold of maybe somehow. And, um, I, I, you know, I give him the spiel. I, I give him our speech. And he's just, no, uh, not going to sell the horse. He's got too much talent. I've, I've waited a lifetime to breed this horse. That kind of thing. So, he, they run him back in the Hollywood Juvenile Championship States uh, in July of 98, and he's third in that race, but he still hits the system. It's still a number good enough to hit the system. I thought at that time, if we had a chance, if maybe would sell, it would be off this race. Um, call maybe back after the race and, and give it another pitch. You know, would you sell it? Um, in the meantime, I, uh, Baffert, trains this horse for maybe and Baffert I don't know if he'd had uh, any of his Kentucky Derby wins yet maybe he had Silver Charmer real quiet but he he had just he was just emerging as the man in, in California as, as far as trainers go you know and uh 
so I, I kind of felt like maybe was behind the scenes putting the kibosh on the deal. Or I'm sorry, Baffert was behind the scenes putting the kibosh on the deal. So second time, he says no. Um, the horse goes on in August of 98 to win the best pal stakes. <laughs> I call maybe back again. I'm just, I'm driving this guy crazy by this time. He's, um, you know, I had to talk to his secretary, had to leave a message. He eventually called me back. He is, he's exasperated. Um, tells me no again, uh, not going to sell the horse. Uh, horse comes back in September and wins, wins the Del Mar Futurity. Um, and just runs some freakish number on our system. Runs like a negative 80, just the, the, the lowest number and negative numbers were better. Runs the lowest number um we've ever seen so i i'm just in for a penny in for a pound i call maybe back is this the fifth time you know one two three four at least the fourth time i've called him and he's an important guy i mean he owns like the biggest i think it was the grocery stores out there the equivalent of kroger's ralph something like that i mean <coughs> he was a really important big guy and i i'll never forget it i was in an airport on my way to Ireland uh, to do some work in Ireland for the company and maybe calls me back. And I was so surprised that he called me back. And this is right as I was getting on the plane. And he says, okay, you've driven me crazy. I'll sell him for $5 million. And my jaw just drops. And all I, I had done my job. My job was to get a price. People above me could decide whether they're going to pay it, right? And anyway, so I was so happy. I just, I called the office and say, I've got a deal from Maybe. He'll sell Worldly Manor for $5 million. And then I'm off in Ireland for the next week, 10 days. And um, so anyway, the deal gets done. Uh, our company goes out there, they look at him, they inspect him, and they decide. And, and the rationale was at that time, yearlings were selling for uh, five, six million dollars. There were two year olds that sold for 16 million dollars. This was right around the time of the Green Monkey. And, you know, the Green Monkey selling for $16 million. Well, this horse is already a graded stakes winner. Why wouldn't we pay $5 million for him? Which really wasn't a bad way to look at it, you know, if, if you've got that kind of money. So we got the deal done. We got uh, the money got exchanged and da-da-da. I got sent out to California to collect the horse and bring him back to Kentucky. And um, I will never forget this horse. He won the Del Nar Futurity in in September, and he would have been the even money favorite to win the Breeders' Cup Juvenile. I mean, he was he was clearly the best two year old in the country that year. And so it's me. I'm 26 years old. I show up at Baffert's barn at Santa Anita at like five o'clock in the morning, <laughs> knocking on the door. And, and he, he says, come in. And I just tell him, I'm, just here to pick, I'm here to pick up Worldly Manor, you know? And I'll never forget the look in his eye when I told him that, you know, he was just, he was going to win the Derby with that horse. He was going to win the, uh, he was definitely going to win the Breeders' Cup Juvenile with that horse. And, uh, and anyway, uh, I, I told him that I was here to pick up Worldly Manor, take him back to Kentucky. And, um, boy, he, he just stared daggers at me. And I can't remember my inter – I think he just passed me off to a, an assistant. That, that explains why he always cuts in front of us whenever we're looking horse, looking at horses at the sales. I, 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 I doubt he remembers who. <laughs> 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 I think that uh, – that's that's been about my only real encounter with him. I'd, I'd be impressed if he, he remembered who I was, but uh, um, but it might be who knows who knows. But anyway, uh, we get the horse. So what I was kind of in charge. We we purchased like ten horses for Godolphin, private two year old, and Worldly Manor that year, and and Worldly Manor was just one of them. 
I was in charge of the quarantine for these uh, 10 horses uh, to keep them fit, to keep them training while they were in quarantine in Kentucky. I, I had to hire riders, um, was I guess a kind of a de facto trainer while these horses were in quarantine waiting to go uh, to Dubai to train for big races over there. So, uh, you know, took care of those horses, got them over to Dubai. The big thing at that time was the Sheikh Mohammed wanted to win the Derby with a horse based in Dubai, you know? Um, and so that's why they took him to Dubai. He won the Del Mar Futurity in September and by October, November, he's in Dubai. And it was his big goal to, to win the Derby with, like I say, a horse based out of Dubai in that's why he didn't just stay here. I think in hindsight, he would have been a lot better off staying with Baffert and, and uh, staying here in this country. But they, they really wanted to do it from, from Dubai. Um, they run him. So his next race is in the Kentucky Derby. Um, he wins the Del Mar Futurity. Uh, I guess I don't know. I, there probably wasn't even a, a, a point system at that time. Um, but he, he qualified for the Derby. He's in the Derby the year Charismatic wins. And I swear at the head of the lane in the Kentucky Derby, if you go watch the 1999 Derby, there's Worldly Manor, the, the Godolphin six, Silks, just, just on the lead. You know, he's just at the head of the stretch for the Kentucky Derby. He's, he's winning the darn thing. But Charismatic comes, and he winds up finishing fifth or sixth, uh, uh, he just didn't want to get a mile and a quarter. He had a ton of talent. He probably could have gone a mile, mile and sixteenth, but couldn't go a mile and a quarter. But at the head of the lane of the Derby, uh, I thought we were going to win it there. Uh, and the and the and the cruel thing is, if you were, you know, those escalators at Churchill Downs that you go up and down, I, they might not even be there anymore with all the renovations. But there's that statue there of Aristides, and you go up and down the escalator. You, have you seen that part? Yeah. Yeah. When when you go down that escalator, there's a picture, not of Charismatic winning the 1999 Derby. There's a picture of Worldly Manor striking the lead, turning for home for that race, yeah. for the Kentucky Derby. And every time I go down those escalators, I have to see that picture. And it always reminds me of Worldly Manor and what could have been. So uh, that's that's my story about the five million dollar course, worldly man. For a second, I thought we were gonna say this is how this is how Mark brought about the downfall of Bob Baffert. I was like, oh, is this <laughs> the story? <laughs> no, he went on to do he went on to do even bigger and better things, and uh, <laughs> and, and, I, and worldly manner was never the force. He, he, we thought he was going to be, it didn't really pan out, but that was, uh, it was key to me learning how, if a horse is doing well in a given situation on a given track with a given trainer, their feed program, uh, their blacksmith, whatever, if you're, if you're taking them out of that situation, is no guarantee they're going to do the same thing with another trainer in another place. Um, and I've, all, I've always kind of kept that. That's, that's the lesson I learned from, from worldly manner and some of those other horses that we bought because they, they were primed to be some of the best, you know, they, they would have been the best horses of that two-year-old crop that given year, you know, and, and not, you know, it, it was just disappointing what the rest of them went on to do. Uh, they didn't, all, you know, it wasn't just Worldly Manor, it was the others too. And I really think in hindsight, the horses were the right horses. I mean, when we got all these horses in one place, they were just exceptional. I mean, they were freaks of nature all in the one place that we bought privately for Sheikh Muhammad, you know. So it had to be something in the taking them out of a situation they were flourishing in 
and so dramatically putting them in another, in the desert, you know? Um, so I've always kept that in mind, you know? Well, it's like we've talked about so many times in so many different situations. They're not race cars, you know, they're not machines. Yeah. They're, they're yeah. living beings. And you're exactly right. You know, it, you, you take them out of the situation they've been thriving in and put them in a completely different situation. We've seen it in, in our own, you know, yeah. with our own horses at times and horses that have been claimed from us. And, uh, you know, well, I sometimes think those changes make a difference, you know, and well, sometimes it can be a good thing. But yeah, you, you, know, you generally do that with the horses that aren't doing well, or whatever's going on, you right. know. Uh, if you've got a, and you know, if you've got, but if you've got a situation where a horse is, is, is doing well, boy, you're really better off to keep them in that situation. Just hold tight. Yeah. And I think it also goes to, you know, a situation like, like a, you know, a worldly manner. You, you might've been the best horse ever going a mile if they'd have left him at a mile, you know? Yeah. But, yeah. 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 You know, everybody, you know, he's excelled going a mile and a mile and a 16th. Well, let's make him go a mile and a quarter. And like you said, that's just, that's just not. That was part of, that was part of the issue too. Uh, um, it's, it, he was by river man, which was, uh, which was interesting because I, I believe Riverman was a, uh, a European horse that was a mile or he got his best runners were a miler. I remember there being questions at the time was this horse. That was the big knock on world. Event. Was he going to get the, the, the mile and a quarter you know mm-hmm. um but there was such a push at that time to win the derby yeah so you're there's a there's a there's a part of the story is the push to make horses derby horses that aren't you know but yeah. but he's a horse that had so much talent that you and he had accomplished so much um you couldn't not take the shot, but what right. would have been great for him is running in the Breeders' Cup Juvenile at a mile of sixteenth. You might have learned a little more about him that it, you know it's just not going to happen, you know. Right. Or if you prepped in the the wood or the Fountain of Youth or something, or uh, well, maybe not the Fountain of Youth or the you know Florida Derby, you'd have got a better sense of whether he was going to get that mile quarter. Right. And I think sometimes too, you know, you how many horses do you see over the last our lifetimes that look like world beaters leading up to the derby and then they run mm-hmm. in the derby and get their heads dented and they never do anything again because it just yeah. it just takes everything out of them. yeah I, I think there's a ton of horses i i used to see it more than i, I feel i used to feel like it happened used to happen a whole lot more where guys um trainers connections tried to make sprinters into uh, derby horses and um, a great examples Texas Glitter. I always remember that horse. He was by Glitter. I mean, it's just the all out speed. And they 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 tried and tried to to make him into a derby horse, but it, it just didn't work. And I remember that horse went out flying for the derby. And I remember, you know, I don't, you know, 20. 245, you know, something like that, just crazy fast. We're just what you thought he would do, you know. Yep. And I just remember thinking, man, what what must that horse have been going through the last three quarters of a mile in that race, man? It must have been awful for him. Uh, yeah, absolutely. And, and he was a horse that luckily it took a couple of years to get him back on track, but he did get back on track as a sprinter. But you're right. Sometimes they go through that and they're just ruined. Um, yeah. and, he, and he didn't, as I recall, he didn't bounce right back. It, it took a season or two for him to even, you know, be a good sprinter. Again. That's been good. I've enjoyed that. This I, I look forward to doing a lot more of these. So, um, I, I, you know, you, you, I've heard a lot of your stories over the years, but I know most of our people haven't. Uh, and uh, I think uh, I think they'll find yeah. them as enjoyable as I have found them, and uh, I look forward to doing this some more. So yeah. thank you very I'll, much. I'll, I'll, there's, I'll try to dust off the old memory and see. I, I know it's I know, getting tougher than it used to be, isn't it? It's getting tougher than it used to be. There's there's some good stories in there. I just gotta 
dust off the cobwebs in my mind kind of deal. Got to dig them all out. Yeah, yeah. You can share some of yours, too. You've been at it for, uh, you know, 20 years or so, almost yeah. with pocket aces. Yeah, I, absolutely. I'm at the, uh, I, I will. Well, next time I'll share one, too. So. All right. Um, all right. So, Patty, uh, thank you much. Uh, and uh, it's. Uh, I guess this will, this will become out as our second show in 2024. Mm-hmm. No, wait. Third yeah. show in 2024, because we had one the other well, day and we got one officially yeah. officially that we i've decided to make that like a bonus episode so officially this is the second unofficially it is the third <laughs> so okay uh, well, how, however that uh, is but i you know you know how tough it is to get me on schedule to record so we may not want to throw out an extra episode in a week because who knows when you'll get me back again <laughs> yeah no 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 it's okay we've we've got we've got everything figured out i got it no all worries. right very good <laughs> well, well thank you again uh, thanks everybody for tuning mm-hmm. in and uh patty take us home absolutely and you know thank you mark for for coming on and sitting down and talking with us you're you're a busy man yourself we laugh about how we we collectively between myself and jared never have time but you're a busy man yourself so we do appreciate no. when you make the time to come on and sit with us and share because you have a lot to, to offer us so yeah great <laughs> love it sounds good so and thank you to everybody who tunes back in every single week and comes back and listens and keeps making this podcast as as successful as it has been make sure that you're following us on all of our social medias we're pocket aces racing everywhere on facebook on twitter on instagram those are the big three we're currently on make sure you're also following our youtube account press that bell make sure that you're getting all those notifications when videos go live and other than that have a happy wednesday make good choices And the podcast is out.